0: Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategies are built, to make strategy work for small to medium-sized companies and organizations by helping them design world-class strategy plans, but more importantly, keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. I'm really excited for our guest, Craig T. Ingram, who is with us today. He has 26 years of commercialization leadership and management expertise, creating and implementing strategic, out-of-the-box marketing and sales effectiveness and the med tech and health tech industry. Craig, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here.
0: Absolutely, Craig. So, from let's start from like the beginning. Tell go deeper. You know, what do you do today, and how did you get here?
1: <laughs> well, here's what I do today. I help health tech and med tech companies specifically become more effective in their commercialization process. And that's not just sales and marketing. That is also PR. It is also manufacturing. Even though I'm not a manufacturing expert, I can I know enough to where I can see pitfalls that other people don't see. Right. And it also includes regulatory, right? The FDA is you're not selling anything. You're not getting anything into a potential customer or consumer's hands. In the med tech, health tech industry, unless it's FDA cleared in some way, shape, or form. That's right. And so, That's how right. I got here was believe it or not, gosh, I was 15 years old. My dad got diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer, went to Mayo Clinic. They basically opened him up, closed him up. And my brother in law did medical capital equipment leasing. And he started making phone calls and found a bunch of different equipment over in Europe, that they were being treated, patients were being treated for cancer, not just, not just head and neck or throat cancer, but just systematic cancer, cancer. And so we imported, I will say these med tech devices in, and he was supposed to live about four months. He ended up living 28 months and it was directly due, no doubt in my mind that it was these technologies that we were using. And they were not FDA approved for cancer at all. Some of them were extremely experimental technologies, but uh, it worked. And uh, he was able to pass away in much less discomfort, much less less frustration than a lot of other stage three, stage four patients. And so that's literally what got me into the med tech industry, actually, when I was a sophomore in college.
0: Wow. Wow. So clearly extremely traumatic event, right? But it had, had level of success to get towards that. And so from, that's fascinating. I appreciate you sharing that because you didn't share that part of the story beforehand. Yeah. So, yeah. so here you are now you're in med tech. And, and so today when you were working with organizations and they're doing their traditional approaches. Okay. Maybe that they learned it from. and, based on some of the people you've been connecting with, and I hope you could share some of that because you've had some really good stories that you've been sharing offline with me. <laughs> what is different about you when you come in an organization that they typically aren't seeing internally, right? They, they, they've got their normal SOP that they're doing to help launch a product in the medtech world. What are you doing differently that's helping to either accelerate or make more successful than they traditionally have done?
1: So that's a very, very effective question. And, and let me let me start off by saying we have a problem in the med tech and health tech industry where we hire in a silo. For example, if, If a company has spine technology, they think that they need to hire everybody that have spinal experience, In order to be part of that company. Well, if you're going to be in sales, you got to have, you got to have, you know, you have to be having, you know, spine equipment sales in your background. If you're in endovascular, oh, you got to have endovascular background, you know, whether it's sales, sales leadership, marketing, marketing leadership, we hire in a silo and people are not earning their worth and they're not as successful as they can be because they're constantly hiring in a silo. So that's the first problem. What I come and what what I do, I bring into that organization is diverse perspective, fresh eyes, all the products and services that I have sold as a sales rep, managed teams selling those products and services. I've never had background in in those products and services. And people go, well, how can you go from product sector to product sector to product sector, not having any of the widget experience. And yet as a sales rep, you were winning sales rep of the year. You were getting all these awards. As a as a regional manager, you were getting regional sales director of the year, two years in a row. As a VP of sales and marketing, you turned around a corporation that was, nobody was even looking at them. And then within less than a year, you turn it around. And then in in, in total, less than a year and a half that you were there. Striker ended up buying your company, right? It's just I've got story after story of that where I've been part of that and helped lead that, and I really think it comes down to one thing: I'm not part of the silo. I bring a fresh perspective, I bring a diverse perspective, and I don't bring vanilla-based information or perspective to what they're used to, right? If it comes to marketing, I'm giving them marketing ideas that are the neon green fish in a silverfish pond. Why would I want to blend in with everybody else if I'm doing marketing? You want to create noise. You want to be the outcast in a way. You want to push the envelope without crossing the line, right? You may have people talking negative about you, but they're talking about you, right? And when we put someone or something down, the people that hear that are going to go right to that Person, go right to that company, go, and they're going to start doing research for themselves. Right. So I bring a complete different strategy, mindset, and tactical execution approach.
0: Okay. Hey, so I love this because one of the greatest challenges in strategy is change. Right. By definition, we're going from A to B, and strategy is how you get there.
1: Yeah.
0: And with Traditionally, a lot of larger, especially larger companies. And now, it happens in small companies too. Just to let you know, as we know, right? But there is there is resistance to what you just said. There, right? You know that they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That does not match our culture, right? I've been told, Craig. I've been I was a part of a, a company organization, one of my favorite organizations, and matter of fact, a, a man I love dearly, and so I won't name him out this particular thing. But he called me after an event we lost and a new strategy, I said, he said, he called me a used car salesperson, which to him was the greatest insult you can ever provide to somebody. What was interesting is three months later, we applied those new strategies and it helped us, was a key catalyst to help us grow. (laughs) But it took, right? It took this mindset change to happen. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with when the status quo is, is going, we don't want to change, right? We don't want to do things differently. We're uncomfortable with that marketing message. We're uncomfortable. We don't want to be said, do we're doing anything wrong, right? We don't want to be on the edge. How do you help them to overcome those concepts?
1: I have candid conversations with them and I'm talking candid, right? I'm not here to be their friend, although I hope a genuine friendship comes out of it, but they're hiring me to get them more effective right? The number one reason people don't earn their worth, and I have personally heard this from four billionaires that have literally said this to my ears. Craig, you will never earn your worth if you stay the same, because what got you to where you are now will not take you to where you want to be. So you can keep doing the same thing over and over, and you will get by. The problem with the definition of success is it means so much to different people. But in business, if you're in leadership in a business, it should mean one thing. Profit. Not at the expense of doing anything dishonest or or compromising your character, although I see that a lot because people are really good at rationalizing bad decisions. right? And I say to them, Are you earning your worth as the CEO of this company, as the VP of sales and marketing, this company as you know, whatever, you know, as the chief strategy officer, are you earning your worth? And I don't really get a lot of yes or nos because I think people are scared to answer that. But by not giving me an answer, they are giving me an answer. Right. And so I have to give all the credit to JT Fox because he is a genuine, genuine person that cares. He's an extremely high six, sorry, nine figure earner in his net worth, like over 500 million. And he has taught so many CEOs how to get out of their own way. And I've been super fortunate that he's taken me under his wing and I've been able to meet these liquid net worth billionaires, you know, and 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 I say that, and I do stress that because if people want to be successful in business, it is about the profit, it is about the EBITDA, it is, right? I just spent two days with Adam Coffey, who is literally a serial CEO in private equity, and and these people buy and sell companies like. Like I've never seen, right? And they do that because they've mastered the art of business. They can go into any company, any industry, whether you're starting one from scratch with venture capital or you're taking over, uh, you know, a company. One of the companies he took over was was you know almost seven hundred million and turned it into well over a billion in revenue. Business is hard. People don't want to admit it. The business is hard. It's hard getting people just to call you back. I mean, today, I've been leaving messages for for people all stinking day, and yet I get ghosted. I don't get a call back. I may have to call five or six times. I can get somebody who has a liquid nine and ten figure net worth to call me back faster than I can get a five or six figure person to call me back. And it's again, it's not about their their money specifically, but I do I am noticing there is a correlation that the higher network you have, the more serious you take people, the faster you call them back. Right. I put a poll on LinkedIn last about a week and a half ago is, are you willing to interview on a, on a Sunday on a weekend? People aren't willing to do that. And I, you know, and I learned, and I've been being pushed from my business coaches like JT and Billionaire Fred and other people like that, that you can't do your best. There is no success without sacrifice.
0: It's a super fascinating point. I, I, I do want to touch on the concept that you said there regarding company success. And, you know, I think there's so many, there is so many different methods, but at the end of the day, we cannot continue to pay our employees we cannot continue to grow our impact in the world unless we generate positive cash flow right and and it is interesting too I think that other thing that you said there is you know when I work with private equity firms as well and you know unless you're once again, creating more worth, you cannot sell it at a greater value. And I think the one of the greatest things that people miss when they get private equity for the first time or venture capital for the first time, they don't understand that. It's in the in the accounting ledger, forgive me those for our accounts, but just bear with me for a moment. There's assets equals liabilities plus owner's equity. There's a reason why that investment in equity is on the right-hand side. It's also a longer term liability. You have yes. to pay those people back. Yes. So, so when people celebrate and they get so excited about I raised money for the first time, that is a ticking clock now. You now need to do what you need to do to help grow that business, generate more cash flow so you can pay those people back and not at the same value they expected at a significantly higher value. That's why they invested in you in the first place. And so so with that, so with these like facts, what I call facts, right? The immutable facts when it comes to business and driving towards things. And by the way, this impacts in pro- non-for-profit organizations. Like, oh, we're, we're in this for the mission. Well, your mission is donations to help impact, to have a greater impact. You need to sell people your concepts so you can get right. donations. You're selling too, right? right? Money is not a bad thing. It's too, It's just literally a means to create greater impact, right? In the world or whatever you're trying to do. So, so with this, so moving along this concept and, and generally, right, right, creating more value, generally things. I, I want to go back to some more of these lessons that you've met with with these billionaires have been hanging out with, right? There's a so, lot of them.
1: I will tell you, my <laughs> head spins. I mean, sometimes I really have to pinch myself, that because five years ago, if somebody was said that you would be invited to go hang out for two days with with somebody who's worth 500 million, $600 million, 400 million and then literally I've spent a handful of days with, with two billionaires, you know, in a very, very small, intimate group of people. I, I mean, I still pinch myself because I don't, I can't really bring them the value that that, that people think that, that they would want, but they do want value because they, they understand fresh perspectives.
0: Interesting. You know? So, so with that, so, what are let's say, let's want to say you've, you've already passed along a few of their stories, so to speak, but what are, if you may, the top three things you consistently hear from these highly extraordinarily accessible in terms of the measure of, in terms of net worth, you know, what are the, what are the three consistent characteristics or strategies you see them consistently deploy?
1: First of all, they have no excuses. When they say they're going to do something, they get it done even when it inconveniences them. And that doesn't mean that, oh, we're going to get five appointments by this date. I'm talking bigger deals, right? I'm talking bigger situation. You know, I'm going to do X by X. And if they haven't achieved it, they can show you the roadmap that they've been on trying to achieve it, right? So there's value in the journey. There's validation in the journey, right? Because we can't make people call us back we can't make people return our emails but we can do the necessary things that give us a higher probability that's why that's why business is so hard right so number one they don't have excuses right they live a lifestyle of no excuses or if there if there is a situation that happens it's not an excuse it's a valid reason there's a big difference right number two they always say yes more than they say no even when they don't feel like potentially meeting with this person or taking their phone call, it takes one opportunity, one person, one situation to change your life forever. Right. And, and I, you know, I would say the third thing is even if they disagree with somebody, they value the opinion and they listen without judgmentalism. They listen with judgment because you have to have good judgment, but they listen without judgmentalism. So they get out of their own way and they let go of their judgmentalism toward what that person is, who they are, what they're saying, because there might be, and most of the time there is value in what that other person is bringing to the table, even if you might disagree.
0: They're great insights. And I appreciate you sharing that. So let I'm going to go back to something else you said beforehand because I hope it's not missed. You, you made this comment of look, you're gr- basically I'm grinding. I'm making phone calls and I'm connecting with as many people as I can, but I get told no. And and I people ghost me and they do these different, you know, you well, we get rejection, right? And you know, part of success in sales is reaching out to more people, right? It just it, it, there is a numbers game to some extent, right? To a
1: point, I think to it's a more a skill game than it is a numbers
0: game. Ah, so let's it's talk more about a game that of skill. So let's talk about that. What are the key skill aspects? Because I love that because it shouldn't always be about more, right? It's 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 having the right strategies or i.e. skills, right, to be able to connect with someone who what's by your system or product or service. So what are these skills that you're consistently deploying or recommending strategies towards that is creating a higher level of success or closure, right? In that sales process to help increase their opportunities. And once again, right, we're talking about, I recognize that sometimes you're selling through distributors, right? Sometimes you're selling through, but it's still a mindshare game, right? Even in that business. Right. So so help 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 through some of those concepts of some key strategies, concepts that really tend to have significant difference.
1: It's being able to convey a message in a short, concise, direct manner where you are communicating the result of the product or service not the product or service. Hmm. That's the key. People don't really care about a widget or a service. They care about the results and how it will bring value and benefit to their life, right? Features, I always hear people say, features, benefits, features, benefits. No, 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 no. It goes features, advantages, benefits, the benefits have are a direct result of the advantages that the features of the product or service bring, so that the person on the other line goes, "I don't know if I need it, but man, I'll tell you what. I really would like that benefit. I really would like that. I really would like that outcome that will solve." this frustration that will solve this problem, right? Because everybody has problems in business. Everybody has problems in their life. We would never own anything or buy anything if it didn't solve some type of problem, whether it's minuscule or whether it's large, right? And so business is the biggest and best platform to solve problems in the world. Because if it's solving a business problem, it's ultimately solving somebody's personal problem. Because business life and personal life really isn't separate. It's together.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I love that when you talk about the benefits or the results, once again, is really what matters, right? What is in it for them, right? For the customer. What what, what no did I they I really need at the day? That's right. That's right. You know, what are they actually getting as a result of it? But you run into organ, you run into this in, in medical profession, you run into this in engineering firms, you run into everywhere where they're like, they're so excited about their new button or their new widget or their new thing, so to speak, that they've just the shiny penny syndrome. Yes. Right. So they have their shiny penny. And they want to, they're really convinced that this is going to be the reason that they sell more. So when you're in that challenge, right, of features of benefits, and you're like, no, no, we just have to connect with the customer or connect with the sellers of the, you know, the tool that ultimately is going to give to the, the consumer at the end of the day. How do you help overcome that concept of right that really? And because I think a lot of times we don't even honestly know. I'm saying from the 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 selling company of services and products. They actually don't even know the benefits necessarily it's providing. They're so excited about selling their product. So how do you help them discern and understand?
1: 90% of the time.
0: Okay, so that's amazing. So, right, so 90% of the time, we don't really fully recognize the value it's creating for the consumer. So how do you help create that understanding, right? So they're discerning it for the first time because this is what you said. If you're going to be more important with strategy and selling techniques... You have to help them understand what the real benefits are, but they don't understand the real benefits.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, strategy, people get, I've just noticed this and I I rarely ever call somebody out on it because I don't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings, but a lot of people really don't understand the difference between strategy and tactic, right? Tactics. The strategies really don't change that much. It's the tactics that change, right? I was with a, a GYN, gynecology, surgical company, selling surgical technologies. And we would have quarterly meetings with the VP of sales and, and marketing. And he's like, all right, we're gonna change our strategy this quarter. And I'm sitting here going, You're, and then he would tell us the information. And I'd go, and I think to myself, that's not a strategy, that's a tactic. Right. But they're the big dog in charge. And if you correct them, unless they're super comfortable with who they are, their skill set and their competency, they're going to be really upsetting.
0: All right. So I love definitions. So for purpose of our audience, because I ask people all the time, what what does strategy mean to you? What does tactics mean to you? Explain that. So what, what is the difference of a strategy versus the difference of tactics?
1: In, in, in my thinking, a strategy is a big picture of, of how you're going to capture a market, right? The tactics are the daily, weekly, or monthly execution actions to fulfill that strategy.
0: Hey, you nailed it. I just just want to let you know, not what I was judging. Not to say, <laughs> but that, was, that was a really good job. You know what, you, I
1: passed the test. Now I look back here.
0: And, w- no, in, in truth, there is, people do view things differently and there's so many different platforms of strate- strategic platforms that, that names and terminology gets changed. But what you described is really important. How we're going to get from A to B, in this case, where you describe how we're going to gain market share in a certain area, right? That's that's our key strategy, right? We're trying to grow from 20 to 30% market share, right? That's that's our goal, and, we're, and the key, that's there's a key how we're going to accomplish that. But you're right. The tactics are the actions, right? I, I like to use a term that's like it's the oars in the boat. Right, that's when we're rowing to actually get things done, and and the end result is the end result. It's but it's the result of all the tactics we're doing, the actions, right, to have a successful strategy, which gets us to the end result. And what's fascinating though is what really matters, actually, enough is measuring the tactics consistently, right? So let's talk about that for just a minute, because I like to measure tactics what are some tactics, right? So we're here, we're, we're, we're all a big, you know, all up to billionaire, all the way down to the importance of tactics, but really this matters. Like you, you talked about a little bit earlier, you're calling making phone calls, right? So how are you helping out with the measurements of the tactics once again, I make an argument. If you don't have strong tactics and traction of those tactics, you will ne- are the leading indicators. You're never going to get to the outcomes that you're trying to get towards. So, how do you help your clients, and where you're working with them? Of, let's say you're working with the sales team, and you're like, okay, we need to we need to improve. You hear somebody say we need to improve our tactics. How, what are those, and then how? What are they? What are you helping them to measure to understand that they're being more successful or doing the right things to have more positive outcomes?
1: Yeah. So, so one of my coaches is is Hugh Hilton, right? And you know, he he always says, you know. If something doesn't get measured, it won't get done, right? And so we look at all these, you know, KPIs and all these fancy terms and everything. At the end of the day, it's I'll do a, I'll do a selling standpoint, right? How many people did you talk to? What did you talk to them about? What's the next step, right? And what's your objective for for the current meeting that you had in the next meeting? And then what do you ultimately want to get out of it? Right. So you can measure that. You can measure all of those. Like in my world, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm working on a, if I'm working with a, with, with sales leaders, right? And I'll just say, okay, well, well, how how many hospital personnel are you calling? Right? Or stopping by or emailing or whatever the case may be, right? Whatever actionable-based tactic it is, right? How many are you how many are you getting a hold of? What's the rejection rate? What's the acceptance rate, right? For meetings, right? When you get those meetings, so let, let's take it down. What's your cost per per acquisition? What's your cost per lead? What's your cost per customer visit, right? All that type of stuff. It is important. Because you don't want to be the person in a a car that is sitting in a cornfield after it rains, stepping on the gas, having the tires fly, and mud flying behind you, but you're going nowhere. But that's what makes business hard. You can't make somebody do something if they don't want to do it. So if you call 500 potential prospective customers and you don't get a call back, you can't make somebody call you back. So then you got to change the tactic to try to give them the party back. You got to change the tech the the tactic to get them to be willing to schedule 15, 20, 30 minutes on either an in-person meeting or a call, right? So so you've got to be able to measure the inf- the, the 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 actions. But if uh, it's yeah, a marketing absolutely. thing, I'll say, okay, so who are you marketing to? psychographic marketing, right? Demographics, right? And at the end of the day, how many times are you going to put X amount of ads in front of them over a one month period? See, that stuff can be measured. People do think that way. Some don't think that way. And the ones that are not thinking that way They're not earning their worth and they're not maximizing the outcome that they could potentially have.
0: I'm curious, how many times do you go into organizations and they don't have those measures? Like, you know, if you were to like say out of every 10 you go to, how many of them are tracking those leading measures?
1: I would say eight out of 10 are, are tracking something, but it's usually not enough. You know, it might be one, two, or three things versus where they need to be measuring nine minutes, right? right? I will tell you the biggest problem in my industry is the silo. Well, we've always done it this way. Well, right. But you can't commercialize your product or service in the same way you did seven years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago, 14 years ago. You, you, you can't. The problem is, people are so over marketed to unless it creates noise it doesn't even hit the subconscious let alone the conscious
0: so craig you get a ton of energy i'm curious of how what type of habits are you doing on a consistent basis to help yourself bring it each day and You know, make whether once again whether making a bunch of phone calls or working with the clients directly, or as you you know, been recently having these really really powerful connections you've been having. What do you do to help make sure that you're performing at your best?
1: Well, there's no human way possible that everybody is going to be at peak performance every hour every day. It's not humanly possible, right? There are days where I bring an A minus game. There are days where I bring an A game and there are days when i bring an a plus game i can't bring an a plus game every single day i can't and anybody who says they can they need to get in a quiet room with a mirror in front of them they need to have a real legitimate no nonsense conversation with themselves that's number one the habits that i bring to the table on what i do is number one It starts out with a quiet time for me, right? Thinking strategically, thinking, what can I do that will be more effective? What can I do that everybody else is not doing, right? For me, for me as well, I'll work real, I I picture a day as a marathon and I'll have sprints within that marathon. But I do take a lot of 15-minute breaks. But I also work from about 7.45 in the morning till sometimes 9.30 at night. Not every night. Sometimes I'm doing Zooms at 11.30 at my time. Sometimes I'm doing Zooms at 4.30 a.m. I hate those, by the way, because I'm not a really morning person. Although people think I'm a morning person, I just I can just put on a really good Oscar, you know, nominee award winning performance. I'm really more of a night owl than I am a morning owl. But I'm just bored with a lot of energy. You know, it's just the way I was created. It's the way I'm wired. But I get frustrated easy, probably easier than other people, which is why I'll take a lot of 10 minute breaks or I'll get up after a, you know, four or five conversations in a row and I'll be like, oh, I gotta let the dogs out. I'm going out with them, right? And I'll grab a Dr. Pepper and I'll take the dogs out, you know, to go to the bathroom and stuff. And sometimes it's just for seven or eight minutes, right? I never let it go more than 15 because I've got to pound the payment. I got to talk to these CEOs. I got to talk to these C-level people. I've got to talk to, you know, these directors of the ICU, directors of the ED, director, you know what I mean? Because I'm helping these companies do something different. And I don't know what it's going to take to turn the direction of, of, of the cruise ship, right? Because I think of the med tech and the health tech industry is a really big cruise ship, really, really big, you know, freight liner ship. And you've got the waves of the culture of the industry pushing against that, that ship. And you got a small little runner that turns the ship. The rudder is our tongue. What we say, how we say it. And we can either A, stick to playing corporate political games and have our optics look really good, right? Or we can just be no nonsense, straight to the point and and make sure that we're not intentionally trying to uh, use our title Right, I heard something last week when I was with Adam Coffey, he said, when people make mistakes and they fail, in corporate America, leadership loves to assassinate the person that's made a mistake. But if you're a CEO or chairman of the board or you're in, you're in leadership of a company, you should be encouraging mistakes. You don't want them to repeat them right? I I hear people say, well, you can make a mistake, but you never want to repeat it. Well, nobody ever wants to repeat it. That's worth their way to solve. But we're human. We may not make that same mistake for a year, two years, five years, but more than likely, we're going to make it again at some point. The key is not to do it consistently. And instead of assassinating somebody for making a mistake or doing something wrong, come alongside of them, right? Let them know by your demonstration that you're on their side and you're not going to chop their head off at the chopping block and they're going to be jobless, right? Because we wouldn't want that done to us. You know, it's, and it's interesting, right? Because, because I've been the victim of that a handful of times. And it, it hurts. And I find that there are some executives that just don't learn their lesson because I've given second chances to executives where I've worked with them again I always give somebody a second chance, but they won't give a third.
0: Interesting. Craig, this has been a great conversation. What is a book that has inspired you that you'd recommend for our audience?
1: I will tell you, most books are very horizontal. They give you a lot of theory. And then you get into reading it and you go, well, how the heck do I apply this now? Right? So there are only a handful of books that I really, really, really recommend. And instead of specific books, I'll give you the author. Although one book I will tell you specifically that I that I love because it's very vertical and it's very actionable. Millionaire Underdog by J.T. Fox is one of the best business books I've ever come across. Right? Even Steve Wozniak said it's one of the best business books ever written. Right? I mean, he was like Steve Jobs' right-hand man, right? I also like a lot of Jim Cathcart's books. Not, Good. I don't I really want specifically to be quite honest with you because, because they're actionable. You can use the information right away. And then recently I've read a private equity playbook and an exit strategy playbook by Adam Coffey. And these people are now in my life intricately. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I owe everything to these guys. I just wish I would have met them in my 20s. Although I probably wouldn't have listened to them in my 20s, right? But it's never too late to humble yourself and go, gosh, I've been wrong. And, and when you when you when you show by action your humbleness, you get these people that are that, that can't spend their money in their lifetime because they're so successful in business. And, and they come around you and they invite you in. And so these are the authors and the books that I recommend.
0: Great, great recommendations. Thank you. I had not heard of a couple of those. And so I'm going to add that to our list and make sure our, <laughs> obviously our listeners get get full exposure to that. So how can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? They can get on my
1: website, medicalsalesgrowth.com, medicalsalesgrowth.com. They can also email me at medsurgeconsulting@gmail, at Gmail. And people are like, Gmail.
0: That's awesome, Craig. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you having you as a guest. On the, there. Thank you so much, Craig. And to our audience, once again, thank you so much for listening. We hope you go out and connect with Craig, learn more about what he's doing. And to everyone else who's listening, once again, we continue to ask for your support. The best way to do that is to rate our show. That's how we continue to get these great guests that come to us and great referrals we get on a consistent basis. So with that, as always, wishing you the very best and measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.